All right, we are back at it again today. My name is Seth Kalish. This is Dental Student Vibes Podcast. I am joined here by the one and only Matt Havis and George Derekis. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about the business of dentistry. Uh, we know a lot of you guys have been asking more about business, so we're just going to go over some basic stuff. You know, when, when you get out of school, what do you even do when you're uh, trying to start your own practice? You know, that's, they don't teach you that in dental school. So. They don't. They just teach you how to accrue debt. <laughs> teach you how to accrue <laughs> debt, that's right. So today, fellas, we're going to talk about business of dentistry basics. And this is a PowerPoint that I'm presenting uh, for the business club. Just real basic stuff. And so on one of these first slides here, I've got a picture of Dumb and Dumber. And that is to emphasize that this is very dumbed down and we're just going to keep it basic, you know, like Cardi B. Oh, just kidding. She's not basic. Come on. Anyways, we're going to be talking about options after dental school, basic business words, overhead, dental office staff, patient insurance, and how can you tell if your office is successful? And so I've got a lot of this information from uh, a lot of leaders in dentistry, business leaders, people like uh, Dr. Mark Costas, Addison Colleen, really smart guys. Um, so let's start out. Options after dental school. So a couple things you can do after dental school. We do have a, an episode on this, uh, but a couple options are doing a de novo startup, doing an associateship, and that could be either in private practice or in a DSO. Um, we can also do a residency program. Uh, that could be GPR, AGD, or you can go into a specialty program, you know, perio, oral surgery, endo, ortho, whatever you like, right? Uh, another pathway you can take is not just uh, associateship in a private practice, but you can also become a partner. But I, I would say that's probably not something you're going to do right off the bat, right? Mm, you got a lot to learn. Plus, you have to show productivity right? as well. So you're, I guess you probably work for a couple years and then maybe if you know, you're know producing a lot, you're doing very well, they might ask you to become a partner mm. and you can buy into the equity of the practice. A um, couple other options. You can go into the military. That's a great option. Um, and then there's, of course, a bunch of uh, federal programs, HPSP, a lot of different um, other programs you can go into. So what are you guys trying to do after uh, dental school? Um, one year at a uh, DSO, but I want to really look into the contract that the, that the DSO would want you to sign because there's a lot of things within the contract that you want to look out for. Like you don't want to non-compete for so many years for that whole area, and depending on the the mileage, like in the radius where you're allowed to practice and where you can't, you want to look into that. I would also like to see what they can do in terms of paying for uh, CEs because that's huge if you can get them to pay for some of these things. Because granted, you know they're investing in you, and you'll use that knowledge to make them more money for the time you're there. Right. So I would like to look into stuff like that for the DSO. One year, show productivity to the bank, be able to get my loan, and then try to buy into somebody's practice, and then start as an associate with some sort of, you know, I mean, investment into it, and then slowly work my way up, see as the as the guy or girl gets older, if I can, you know, start buying more into it and eventually take it over, and then have like a seamless transition. That's one of like the top right. things. And you, you know, think about, I'm just thinking about what you're saying right now. 
I'm thinking back to when we just started dental school. We had no idea that any about any of that about right. showing your productivity to a lender at a bank, mm-hmm. right? What that even has to do with for a practice loan. But I, I want to bring up one of the things that you mentioned um, when you start at whether you move into an associateship at a private practice and you say like move your work your way up. Remember, we got to make sure that you take a look at that contract and it says in there specifically that the senior doctor will be out, will be done after a certain time yeah. period. Otherwise, you know, they could just be like, no, I'm just going to hang out for yeah. another five years and that, oof, and you just be That'd stuck be in that terrible. contract. Yeah. Right. So there's a lot of things to look at and we could go into some like the in-depth stuff about contracts and what to look out for, what you want to add in to, to benefit yourself. What are the resources you can use so you don't get taken advantage of when signing a contract? We go over that in another episode. This is more like the basics right, right now. Right. So going through the different avenues you can take rather than the details of one specific one. Right. So How about you, George? What are you trying to do when we're done? Honestly, I don't even know yet. I still have a lot to learn. This is uh, the first time that I've actually been through this stuff the past few months. Um, but... Ideally, I would like to do the same thing, work underneath someone for a little while, and then eventually work my way up uh, until I own my own private practice. Right. I think that's, I think that's the goal for everybody, right? Yeah. Um, like I said, this is all new to us. We haven't been taught this in dental school. Right. And I, I agree with you because do you remember Dr. Golden? He was from uh, South Florida. Where, where was Dr. Golden from? He came up to speak to us. Oh, I don't remember. Um, I, yeah, I can't no. remember. He, no, he's from Sunrise. Shout out Dr. Yeah. Golden and Sunrise. His Instagram, I just remember his Instagram was at the Golden Dentist. I think that, that's, that's what it was. But yeah, he, he, I asked him, like, honestly, um, what is something that we're looking for when we get right out of school? He's like, it really doesn't matter about your percentage of production that you're going to be making in your contract and stuff. The most important thing is to find a dentist that will really be your mentor because that will give you the most exponential growth in the long run. Exactly. That's what it's all about. It's almost like an investment. You, you still, when you come out of dental school, you haven't learned everything yet. You still have a lot to learn. Right. Exactly. Like we were talking to one of our old professors. We saw him at the gym last night, actually. And he was saying that they teach you the basics in dental school just to allow you to practice dentistry you're 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 licensed to practice but that doesn't mean you know you know everything to actually do all the procedures full mouth rehab all that stuff we're not trained in that you know we're trained to just do stuff you know i, I mean i maybe could do a class one if you ask me to but you know i mean at the end of the day you're gonna maybe. learn maybe <laughs> maybe but i mean at the end of the day you will learn everything there is to learn but you also want to find a good mentor based off of that i mean we're on a tangent now but you want that mentor to be to be more in line with what you want to do. If you want to focus heavily on endo, you better find some dentist that focuses on endo right. and probably does it very well. Lots of molar endo, five, six canals, all the fancy stuff. You want to be able to focus on that by somebody who can teach you that. If this guy does implants constantly and you can't stand implants, you might want to look at a different mentor. That's you know, a great point. Something that is more in line with what you like because you're going to end up doing things you dislike in a field you may love just because of your mentor. Right. And so. then that's that's one of the, another thing one of the things you look you you ask about when you're talking about your contract um, and you're looking to buy a practice you ask them, "Hey, can you give me kind of like a breakdown of your procedure mix? 
like and then you can kind of figure out oh is this an implant practice is this you know this guy does a lot of molar endo he does he doesn't really refer out too much and you can find that out from looking at the procedure mix but anyways let's move on all right guys let's talk about some dental business words that you should be familiar with so this is just basic stuff okay so first things first fees so this is how much you're going to charge for your treatment um this can be like how much you charge for a filling how much you charge for a crown um and then i i did a little bit of research to kind of find the uh, the norms for stuff so you're gonna adjust your fees every year usually increasing right uh, so that you're in the 80th percentile of dental fees based on reports. So that means, you know, if you're... So let's dumb down that sentence right there. So, so, the, so you're going to get a report and it's going to say like the average breakdown of fees in your uh, uh, area. And if you're charging too little, you're going to be in the 70th percentile. You need to raise your fees. Otherwise, you're losing money, you know? Okay. Um, if you're very... If you're above, you better be you know, you better have some sort of nice practice, you know, maybe one of those like dental spas. Uh, you, you probably got a higher end practice if you're charging a higher fee. Um, next word you need to know is uh, basically productions versus collections. So production is the full fee for a service without adjustments. And adjustments are like write-offs, friend family discount, coupons. So for example, uh, you do a certain amount of fillings um, and you charge us, or let's just say crowns. Let's just say you do a certain amount of crowns, fillings, whatever, and uh, you charge a thousand dollars for a crown, whatever, uh, and you total to, and you totally produce sixty thousand dollars for the month. Therefore, you've got seven hundred twenty thousand dollar production for the year. Okay, so it's basically just a collection of all your fees. Um, now there's production of the doctor, you know. And then there's also hygiene production. So that's how much hygiene is bringing into the practice. Um, now, one of the things that is kind of important to look at when you're signing contracts with DSOs or whoever is um, if your contract includes collections from uh, or, or hygiene production, right? Because that's one of the differences between hygiene or between working, uh, owning your own practice and working for someone else. If you're working for someone else, you might not be collecting the hygiene production, but if you're working for yourself, you could be collecting hygiene production and that is more money in your pocket. Um, that, and less, and without having to do extra work essentially. Hmm. Uh, okay. So collections, collections is the actual amount of money that you're collecting from those, uh, uh, treatment the procedures that you're doing right so that so if somebody doesn't pay that's obviously going to decrease your amount of collections if insurance doesn't pay that's going to decrease your collections so your goal should have is to have your collections at 98 percent. so that's 90 percent of the time you're collecting the money like you're receiving the payment right that, that's service. the payments that hit the bank account gotcha and a lot of these uh things that we're going to talk about today are going to be i'm going to tell you like the ideal number that i've found from research and you know it can vary a little bit by a few percentages but if you're too low that means one thing and if you're too high on the percentage that means another thing right okay so now we're going to talk about like one of the biggest things when running a dental practice overhead so you've got fixed uh, overhead you got variable overhead so overhead includes staff expenses lab costs supplies facility expenses so i'm just going to give you some numbers for those 
Uh, staff expenses should be anywhere around 25, 30%. And then I've even read that ideally you can get it down to like 16%. Lab costs should be around 10%. And I also found a statistic that you should charge five times your lab costs for the procedure. So like, let's say you pay the lab $100 for a crown. How much should you charge your patient? 500. Right, minimum. Um, so supply expenses, 5%. Facility expenses, 5%. And these are all expenses of like your total budget. That's, that's what the percentages are. Or of your, of your total uh, production or collections. Um, a couple other uh, business words. All right, so let's talk about, let's go deeper into the uh, overhead. Fixed expenses. So fixed is our bills that you do not change, that do not change in value from month to month. Uh, you have lease payments, business loan payments, insurance. Those are all your fixed payments. They're not going to change, right? But when you're uh, ordering supplies, uh, marketing, doing different CE courses, those might change from month to month. So those are gonna be your variable expenses. And uh, all of these things you're gonna see on your profit and loss statement. So your profit and loss statement, also known as your P&L, that's gonna be the statement that shows the expenses, the costs, the revenues, um, and it's basically the, in the cash flow of the company over a specific period of time. So you might have a P&L for the whole year, you might have a P&L breakdown month by month, right? And ideally, you're supposed to see this all on one piece of paper because they they make P&Ls that are like 50 pages and who's going to read that? Who's going to understand that? You're going to forget everything. You're going to have to flip back and forth. I'm sure it's difficult. Yeah, yeah. I never looked at one, but you know. Right. So this is these are all things that you would see uh, your either your CPA, your uh, financial advisor, your tax advisors. Um, they would help you in preparing these and evaluating uh, all of these sorts of things. I mean, it would usually be your CPA though. Um, so let's talk about write-offs. That's another word you got to know. So write-off, um, the definition is money insurance doesn't pay because, uh, they thought the procedure shouldn't have been done. So like, let's say, um, you, you do a filling, but the, or you do a crown, but the insurance says, oh, that, uh, carries didn't extend close enough, uh, like deep enough into the dentin or something like that. And they're like, nope, sorry, we're not going to pay for it then either you would have to just comp the fee, I guess. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I'd love to know. So if you hit us up on Instagram at dental.student.vibes or email us at dentalstudentvibes at gmail.com. Give us a follow. Give us a follow, but let us know. Let's continue the conversation. Um, that, that would be considered a write-off, right? So uh, other write-offs would be I, th I think this is considered a write-off is when you have uh, you, when uh, insurance pays you only like 80% of your fee, um, that 20% that you're missing, I'm pretty sure that's like called an insurance write-off. I'm not sure though, but I'd I love think, to. I think I've, you know, I'm from, I think I heard something like that though. Right. So, I mean, that definitely sounds familiar. Okay. But I mean, if there's a CPA around here. Right. You know, it's listening. Let us know. We, us we've talked, we've spoken with a lawyer, Cam Kari Law. Shout out Cam Kari Law. Uh, we got a CPA who wants to talk to us. Let us know. Please hit us up. Um, next word, EBITDA. 
That's a fun word to say. I just like saying EBITDA. That's spelled E-B-I-T-D-A. That stands for a company's earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. So the, the purpose of EBITDA is to kind of be able to evaluate where the practice stands in valuation. This is like a common um, thing you use to evaluate a practice when you're gonna buy a practice, merge, sell a practice. Uh, and this goes for all companies. So that's that's EBITDA. So that's like, let's just say you're like totaling a million dollars a year and that's before everything. Um, but, but the thing is that doesn't necessarily tell you the cash flow because then there's cash on cash flow and you compare cash on cash flow with EBITDA, but we're not gonna get into it because that's will be a lot more to, to talk about. So overhead, all these things are really, you, you allocate your um, overhead by percentages and everything should kind of hit this ideal percentage range. So like we said before, um, Staff should be around 25, lab around 10%. So, th- so that's how you kind of allocate all your uh, overhead into percentages. Then 30, about 30% should be the doctor's take-home pay. And then additionally, if you're doing very well, uh, you should have about a 10% profit. And you can use that to reinvest in your uh, practice. Now, that these are all like, I'm, I'm not saying this, these aren't like absolute numbers. These are just, they're adjustable, right? And that they adjust according to the growth of your practice. So ideally you wanna have between 50 and 60% overhead. I mean, having a lower overhead is great. But if you could do 30% overhead, I've never seen it before, but if you could do it, shoot for it by all means, 70% in your pocket, why not? Right, so um, I got this from Dr. Uh, Costas. He has this three phase uh, overhead plan. So if you improve your overhead, it's basically more money in your pocket, right? So there's three phases. Uh, phase one is a 30, 30, 30, 10 split. Um, and that gives you, this is at the 60% overhead phase. So there's three thirties and one 10, it's four parts. It's 30% payroll, which is you're paying for your staff salaries. 30% expenses, so that's your fixed and variable expenses. 30% doctor pay, and then uh, 10% goes to profit. So this is at 60% overhead. If you can bring your practice down to 60% overhead, you're doing well, right? You're doing good, you're on your way. So once you really get your uh, things in order and you move to phase two, and then phase two is basically decreasing your expenses. So now we have Instead of 330s and 110, now it's 30, 25, 30, and then we move that 5% that we saved in expenses to profit. So I'll just go over that again. That's You're still at 30% payroll. Now it's 25% expenses. Remember expenses are uh, lab costs, uh, equipment, um, supplies, stuff like that. Uh, and then still at 30% for the doctor pay, but now we're at 15% profit. Now, if we move to phase three, now we're going to be able to reduce payroll uh, percentage of overhead. So now you're at 20 and and then move that to your profit. So you're at 25% payroll, 25% expenses, 30% doctor pay, and now you're at 20% profit. 
and this gives you a total of 50% overhead. So why do we want to increase the profit? To invest more. Right. You know, to buy more things for the practice, let's say a nice CBCT. Um, you could use that for expanding the building if you need to add more operatories. That's a great point, yeah. So, I mean, but the other thing too is if you guys are thinking, oh, wow, so you're only going to make 30%, but you, it's 30% relative. So in phase one, you're not going to make as much money as you're making in phase three. In phase one, you might be you know, 25, 30 years old and you know, your production is going to be, let's say, 600 grand a year. So you're only gonna, you're making thirty percent of six hundred grand. But let's say once you're in phase three and you're at the top of your career, you're you know late forties and you're just a cash cow. You could be at let's say a two million dollar production for your practice. You're gonna take thirty percent of two million. Then you see like how that works. I mean, of course you have the taxes, inflation, whatever. But I mean, you're gonna be making more based off of your uh, um, percentage for the what what your practice is. So you'll you, that thirty percent is of your total. So you're still going to make money and you'll, you'll eventually start making more. So it's not like you have to increase your percentage that you pay yourself. Right. And this, again, this is all credit to uh, Dr. Costas. He came up with this and uh, I think this is a great way for us to all learn and understand about overhead. So that was moving from uh, phase one, two, and three, going from 60 to 55 to 50% overhead. So how do we actually do those things? How do we move up in these phases? How do we save on the expenses? How do we save on the staff? So to decrease your variable expenses, you're going to, first of all, one of the most important things is actually keeping track of the stuff. If you don't keep track of it, if you're not watching your metrics and everything, you're never gonna know what's going on, right? So how would you uh, keep track of this? Where would you look at it? Your profits and losses. Profit like and loss statement, right? The P&L. Right, that's the ultimate uh, where everything's at. Um, you're gonna also want to keep uh, control over your inventory, and then also you want to make sure that I know it's it seems like it's easy when you order everything uh, from one uh, supplier, and you, it's it's just easy to start just clicking all the way down the list of all your supplies that you need, and then just ordering that whole shipment from one supplier. But if you go to different suppliers and negotiate with them, you're able to get lower prices and it might take some more time. I mean, you could have you know your office manager or one of the lead dental assistants, something like that, order the supplies for you and go to these different suppliers. But in the long run, doing this is gonna save you money, right? Because you're paying less for supplies. So that's how you would um, negotiating and just checking different vendors is gonna help you lower your supply costs. So for the fixed, those are the variable expenses. For the fixed expenses, um, the number one thing to decrease these percentages, um, you're gonna wanna increase your revenue. So obviously one of the ways to uh, lower these is to increase your overall uh, production and your overall collections. Basically make more money so that your money spent is less overall in the in proportion. So couple ways you can decrease your fixed expenses. To decrease the write-offs, you can drop some of the insurance plans that you take, some of your uh, contracts that you have with the insurances, right? Um, you can also increase your service volume. Uh, you can increase your, your prices, how much you charge for each procedure. Uh, you can increase your case acceptance. How would you do that? Um, communicate with the patient better, yeah. better bedside manner. If you can connect with the patient and then they actually feel, you know, 
like they could feel your empathy towards them, you're going to be able to sell them on more things. And it's not like a used car salesman where you're like, oh, you got to get this, this is, you know, with this package and these features. It's not like that. You want to be able to, you know, make it seem worthwhile to them that they need to do these things. Like if you want to sell them, <clears throat> let's say an implant, you have to explain to them the, the bonuses of having the implant versus doing a bridge, you know, like bone loss, whatever, whatever you want to talk about. You got to be able to sell that to them in layman's terms and ways that they'll understand. I'm sure these patients are brilliant in their own field, but they're coming to you as the dental professional because they don't know about teeth unless they're their own dentist, but that's a different story. So you might have a really great engineer who doesn't know anything about teeth, explain it to them the way they would explain engineering to you. That's how you do it. And that's how you keep a very high case acceptance and you'll sell very high quality cases. And all the older guys or whatever at the school and like everything, they always tell you, never sell a super, super expensive um, case like treatment plan to a, a patient the first time you meet them because it just looks like you're trying to make money off of them. See them, get to know them, and then on the next visit, propose the plan of what you want to do. Don't whip out a $60,000 treatment plan, you know, within 20 minutes of meeting this person. They say like, I mean, there's different tips and tricks. Pe plenty of people, you know, write books on it. I've never heard that it. before. Seriously. It's a, I mean, one of the doctors at our school, um, they say that all the time. They're like, I've never went into the operatory, sat down and said, hi, listen, based off reviewing your chart and your x-rays or whatever, I have a $60,000 treatment plan that you need. Because then they're like, oh, you're, you're FOS. We don't need this and we're out. And then you just lost a patient. They go to the guy down the street and if they have some finesse, they're going to do it that way. And then once they, once you build that trust, you can start selling them on ideas and plans. But I mean, you still have to like tell the patient after your exam, you have to show them, share with them your clinical findings and what your, what the, their best options are. I think it's more about, um, maybe the different, giving them maybe options. Don't, yeah. Maybe allowing don't, them to have yeah, autonomy. Exactly. Don't, don't lead with the $60,000 plan. Cause you could put together a plan. Like you could say, Oh, I want to do a full mouth, um, like implant case for you. Or you could say, all right, I could do a, you know, full denture. And granted, you're going to make money on either, on either one, whatever you sell. But I mean, at the end of the day, you're gonna make money for yourself. If you, you're gonna make a lot of money if you do the full implant you know, case for the mouth. But, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter, you know, what you do, as long as you can sell it well. If you could, if you could sell dirt to a ditch digger, you'll do great in dentistry. You want to be able to sell things. If you could speak to people and connect, that's how you will make money. And the, the point isn't necessarily like, obviously it's, it's important because we want to be able to sell the treatment to the patients mm -hmm. because we know this is what the patient actually needs. This is what's actually going to improve their health and improve their life. You know, yes, that's, that's why we want it. It's difficult for, I feel like the biggest reason I'm sure lots of people will agree. The biggest reason why a patient would say no is because they truly don't understand. I mean, the biggest reason they say no is they don't, they have trouble with money or they're afraid of the pain, but they just also don't, truly understand the benefits of having uh, dental treatment and improving their oral health, right? Oh, I agree. Or they don't trust you, too. That's right, so that, so you got to build trust. Yeah, but you got to build that rapport. I think I think we should definitely have another episode on this case topic. Case acceptance. On case Absolutely. acceptance. You could go, I, you go on for hours about this yeah. stuff. Um, okay, so one of the last things for decreasing your fix, fixed expenses, you want to increase the mix of procedures that you're able to do. If you're only doing fillings and crown and bridge, which, you know, that's the majority of all dental, general dental practices, um, that's the majority of their procedures that they do. Uh, but, you know, if you start doing, let's just say molar endo, you start doing your own surgery, stuff like that, and instead of referring out, obviously you're going to increase your overall production and 
this will decrease the proportion of your fixed expenses. All right, so let's talk about another part of business, right? Your HR, your human resources, your, your staff, right? Well, so that, that's yeah. part of your overhead. That so terrible. Let's, let's talk about uh, some of the regular dental office staff. So you've got front office, back office. Front office is, and this is just for a small private practice, right? Because um, you could have, uh, in a big organization, you can have like an accounting department and all, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But so front office, you have front desk. Those are the people that when you walk in, they say hi. That's like probably one of the most important jobs, like hands mm-hmm. down. Because that's immediately how the patient's going to judge the practice. That's the first right? impression right there. Right. Uh, you have a patient coordinator. Uh, that could be for either like specialists or you could have a patient coordinator just for Invisalign. And these people are going to basically set up special appointments and uh, help with the scheduling. Uh, and You know, a lot of office managers and front desk can do that as well. You don't necessarily have to have a patient coordinator. Um, oh, so the office manager, that's another important um, staff uh, member to have as part of your team. And the office manager, I feel like you should really kind of treat them as your right-hand man or woman, mm-hmm. you know, because as the dentist, you're taking care of a lot of the clinical stuff and, you know, you got to delegate things out so that you can focus on the clinical and on treating the patients, right? Um Another uh, important staff member, team member, is the billing or insurance specialist. And, you know, th- these are all really just depending on the size of your practice. You know, if, if it's just you're in a small town and you have a very small office, it could just be you and one other person who just runs the front desk. So, Or, you could, like I said, you can have a big practice. Mm-hmm. So that's front office. Th- those are just some of them. You can have others. Uh, back office. So back office includes hygiene, uh, dental assistants, and... So these are going to be like <laughs> the people that are actually in the back of the office working with you, uh, treating the patients. So um, if you end up having like a large back office team, in addition to a large front office team, you might want to eventually get team leaders. So like you have a hygiene team leader, you have a dental assistant team leader, and they kind of manage uh, everybody in that team. And then, so if you have like, you could have just like a back office meeting and then those team leaders will like report about their mm-hmm. own individual teams. So it's like a chain of command almost. Yeah, it's a chain of command. And that's one of the most important things is being able to trust and hire people appropriately and then delegate out your responsibilities so that you can take on more patients, take on more business, and you won't be as stressed out. Because, you know, everybody's got like a, uh, a threshold. Mm-hmm. You can only do so much and that's... I don't need to say this is importance of teamwork is it's synergistic, mm-hmm. right? So all these people absolutely crucial to your success and absolutely. a happy office is a successful office. You bet. But the thing is though, this is the hardest part of dentistry is managing the personalities. You really have to look at who you hire. It is so difficult for dentists to, you know, have a good, like, just gelling office where everyone gets along because you know people have their own opinions and stuff things happen and they don't exactly get along so you have to manage them as well you're like a babysitter sometimes but you don't want that you want to be able to hire people that get along they're professional and everything that's the hard part you got you got to be able to hire good attitude and then teach them the talent and the, the skills that they need because you can't teach attitude right 
Okay, next uh, topic of business here, uh, patient insurance. So this can be a thousand podcasts on its own. Um, you can make your a different there's, podcast. There's CEs on just insurance. There's CEs on just like coding and stuff like that. So we're, I'm going to make this very, very basic, okay? So we've got, let's just say five types of payments. So the whole point of insurance is so that patients don't have to pay for the whole treatment out of pocket. They pay insurance each month and they're good to go. Um, so the uh, first, first uh, insurance we want to talk about, fee-for-service. And what is that? That's not insurance. That's basically cash, right? So your fee-for-service, also known as FFS, right? That's how it's abbreviated. You'll see it. Uh, fee-for-service is just cash and that's like the full price, right? So like we said earlier, $1,000 for a crown, they're going to swipe their card or hand you cash and that's going to be $1,000, That's right? Nice. And that's going to be for every type of treatment. So that's just, that's kind of like a standard and that's when, when we said earlier, you're, you're going to want to charge in the 80th percentile at least that you're, you're comparing fee for service, uh, your fee schedule for fee for service. So next we have PPO, HMO, Medicaid, Medicare. So these are th uh, three types of insurances. Okay. Um, PPO and HMO, uh, basically PPO and HMO, the patient's going to pay a certain amount and then they're going to have certain procedures covered. Now, uh, dental procedures are broken down into different, um, categories and it, the categories are part of a fee schedule. So an insurance fee schedule will be broken down into, uh, preventative care, basic, major restorative work, periodontal care, like specialist cares. Um, and they will, so the insurance will pay a percentage of each one of these types. So a common percentage we would see for a PPO plan or HMO plan would be um, 100% for preventative and for basic, or 100% for preventative. So that's basic, or preventative is basically x-rays, exam, cleaning, right? So just think, maybe you've been to the uh, dental office and you've got an exam and cleaning, you haven't had to pay a copay, right? Um, so next is basic, and those are like fillings. And think maybe you've gotten a filling before, but you've only had to pay $20. And basic is covered at 80%. So when you're usually charging you know, in the hundreds of dollars, but you only had to pay uh, 20 bucks or so, most of it was covered because you had this fee schedule. Um, and then major, like Crown Bridge, and then also Perio and Root Canal, stuff like that, those would be covered at 50% by the insurance. So they're only gonna pay half of the uh, procedure. And so what's kind of the difference between PPO and HMO? That's kind of a big question. Um, I, From what I understand it, HMOs, usually cover less than PPOs. That's exactly it. PPO is better to have. That's yeah. very, very simply. Yeah. PPO covers more. They allow, And then in terms of, let's say medicine, for instance, they allow you to see specialists and you get to pick, you get to pick who you want to see. Right. So HMO, they give you a list of people. They might be BS, you know, clinicians that don't do a very good job, but they accept the HMO. And it's true. I mean, I took a class on this in undergrad. So like an HMO doesn't give you the options and then as good of quality care as you can, as you could get on a it's, it's a smaller network. Yes, exactly. Right? It's a smaller network. And then you're not going to be able to pick. And they With don't, PPO, they don't cover out of network. 
But some they, PPOs cover out of network. Yes, PPOs uh, can, depending on like whatever plan you have or whatever, but the HMO does not. They say you have a list here, pick one. PPO, you kind of have more broadened aspects of what you can do. So overall, I was always taught in undergrad when I took this course, it was, it was phenomenal. It makes you a financial, just independent person. And my professor said, when in doubt, always go with the PPO because you'll get the better care. And it'll be, you know, it's just better for you and like as a person, you know, you'll come out better from the surgery most likely and everything. But, you know, at the end of the day, PPOs. A lot of dentists take fee for service and PPOs only. They don't even bother with the HMOs. So I was, I, I follow a page on Facebook and they were saying that if you take HMOs, you're in trouble because they, like the HMO plans are so hard to get payment out of them. They fight you every step of the way. They don't want to pay what they should pay. And it, it's a pain. And then it just causes stress in your life that could, that takes away from doing the dentistry. Right. And then the next one is Medicaid, Medicare, and that's basically insurance covered by the government. And it's going to cover, it's, it's really not going to cover that much. Uh, one of the last things I want to mention are payment plans and that's essential to any office, right? Uh, this is how you're going to be able to, a lot of patients can be able to afford treatment. So one of the most common uh, payment plans is care credit and care credit. It's basically like, I guess you could say it's almost like a lender and they're just going to like for a thousand dollar crown, the patient will pay a hundred dollars a month for 10 months. And so you can accept care credit at your office, but um, care credit will take 15% of the fee. So like they're only going to pay uh, or you're going to receive less money in total. But now the patient will be happy and they'll accept the treatment because they can actually afford it because they'll be paying monthly payments. Okay, so that's just really quickly on insurance. Just just touching on insurance. So last thing here. Uh, how can you tell if your practice is doing well? So these are called key production indicators. And these statistics are really what you're looking at uh, overall to, to determine how your practice is doing. Okay, so we'll just go through these really quickly. So we've already talked about production. So one of the important, and these are also abbreviated as KPIs, uh, the key production indicators. So net monthly production, that's an important KPI. We already touched on that. Overhead, we said that that's about 60% or less. That's doing good with your overhead. Um, collections, 98% or more. You don't want the money to slip through the cracks. You don't want your patients to never pay you, right? Uh, new patients per month. So this is this can really vary, but from what I've seen, um, around 30 patients per month is good, per doctor is good, or you're, you're doing well, right? Um, uh, another important one, this can gauge how well your, your doctors and your hygiene are producing in the practice. This is doctor production as a percentage of overall production. So ideally, you want to have about 75% uh, of produ production to be doctor production. Therefore, that other 25%, that'll be from hygiene. So uh, we say that usually your hygienist, you usually want to pay them three times the amount that uh, or you want a, a hygienist to produce three times the their salary, right? So if the doctor production is percentage is low, that means the doctor needs to produce more. But if the doctor production percentage is high as a total of the overall production, that means that hygiene needs to produce more. So that's how you can kind of gauge how your uh, employees are doing if you have associates or hygienists. 
Um, we spoke about insurance write-off percentage. That's an important KPI. Your lab percentage of overhead, supply percentage of overhead, both at 5%. Those are also uh, important KPIs. Staff payroll as a percentage of your overhead. And like we said earlier, you want to get it to around 30%. And then according to Dr. Costas, your target should be at 16%. And that seems like it's pretty difficult. Um, your production per chair. So this is your net production divided by your number of operatories. And this is an important KPI because this can kind of help you gauge whether you need to expand or you can kind of estimate how much uh, by adding more chairs, more operatories, how much more you can produce as an office. And then of course, your daily production as a provider. So a couple other KPIs, those are normal KPIs to look at to see how your practice is running. So a couple other KPIs that will help you get ahead Case acceptance percentage, right? That we spoke about case acceptance earlier. That's very important. Your production per hour, your missed appointment percentages. I know a lot of offices have policies um, some uh, on how many appointments a patient can miss until they're dismissed. Uh, a basic number would be like five missed appointments. And then you send a letter of dismissal uh, by certified mail to the patient and say, sorry, um, because you've missed X amount of appointments or five amount of appointments, we're no longer going to see you, right? Because that's kind of wasting your time. You could have had a, a patient in the chair and given them treatment, but no, the patient missed the appointment. But some people actually charge for that. Yeah. They charge yeah. like a 50% right. fee of the appointment automatically if they miss. Right. So, you know, hey, whatever, whatever your office decides to do. Um, next is the attrition rate. So attrition isn't like uh, dental attrition, tooth on tooth. It's actually the number of patients that leave your office over time, right? Um, that's important to recognize. And if you're and you're also looking at this over time, right? So if all of a sudden your your attrition rate starts increasing a ton, you're like, well, what's going on? Why are so many patients leaving my office? Um, so this also has to do with reappointment rate and your active hygiene percentage. These are two other KPIs. And that's kind of like, how often are your patients coming back? Do they just come from one exam and cleaning and they never come back? If that's the case, what's the reason for that, right? You, you don't have any retention of your patients. And then one of the last KPIs is um, your incompleted treatment total. So that goes along with uh, your reappointment rate. Do your uh, patients actually finish their treatment? So do they only come in for that first filling with the patient uh, with the tooth that's bothering them or and they never come back for the other five crowns they need because they're missing half the tooth structure? So that's another important KPI to look at. And you can think of, if some of these are low, you can think, okay, well, I need to, I'm going to work on this this month. You know, I'm going to really try and raise one of these KPIs and work on this KPI this month. So these are all things to look at. Um, we're going to have a lot more topics to come. Uh, we want to talk about uh, more about associateships, student loans, talk about finances some more. Uh, definitely going to get into practice acquisitions. And like we already said, case acceptance. We're also going to go over marketing. And we're going to also talk about location analysis in the future. So I hope uh, this wasn't too much information. I know it was a ton, but I hope I hope you guys stayed with us. It was it was a lot of information. I know. You guys have any uh, last comments, last shoutouts? 
I mean, I'm just I'm very happy if you guys listen to this whole thing. I understand we're moving on over 40 minutes now, but if you guys listen to this and you actually pay attention, if you get something out of this, you'll be able to have a normal business-based conversation, just in general, because this is how other businesses are run as well. Dentistry is just a healthcare business. You'll be able to do all of this with you know anyone. You can talk to uh, businessmen, businesswoman. You'll be able to do this, and then you actually know what they're talking about. You can feel like you're part of the conversation rather than just saying, oh, I don't know what's going on. So this was super, super valuable. I even learned stuff, and I've been through some of this. So. I mean, super valuable. Right. And if you guys have any questions, any comments, you want to continue the conversation, I'm sure I'm sure I've made a mistake. I've, I've made a thousand mistakes in my life. I'm not perfect. But if, if I uh, missed anything, if there's anything you want to learn more about, if you want me to send you the PowerPoint, the presentation that we made, um, email us at uh, dentalstudentvibes at gmail.com and message us on Instagram. Uh, at dental.student.vibes. Give us a follow. <laughs> Subscribe, follow. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you guys learned a ton. And until next time.